We are in for a special treat. If you're a fan of Police Off the Cuff, you know how we're growing, how we're expanding, how we're expanding um, the, the the guests that we have. You're going to tell them that we were uh, nominated as the fourth yeah, uh, podcast was, um, in the country of to watch in two. Yeah, the year there's 2000. a blog that came out. Whoever wrote it, uh, my cousin John. Um, <laughs> four really bro I get the top 15 but you gave us four no. uh, that's how some of these things work but this one it didn't work that way I don't even know these people but whoever you are Thank what's you. the name of it blogpost.com blog sounds legit to me yeah. <laughs> put us on the map it sounds is. legit to me so um, yeah we were ranked number four so that's the best that's the little things to come we'll be number one soon but like I said, the the podcast is is expanding, and it's expanding in this rate, which is what I'm so excited about. Is that of course we've had a ton of great law enforcement officers come through here and uh, tell their stories. We had a couple of prosecutors. We had um, medical examiner Barbara Butcher. Some we academics. Had a, a PhD, Maki, Doctor Maki, Haberfeld, and uh, now we're going into the investigative work. So, our guest today is an award-winning investigative journalist, author, columnist, and editor, and is considered an expert on government, law enforcement, criminal justice, organized crime, and terrorism. Um, let's put it together, folks, for Murray Weiss. Thanks for coming in. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Great yes. to meet you, Murray. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, really, really excited and today. Before, and before he gets nervous, he also now is a producer at 48 hours for CBS. Yeah. You got yes. yeah. to get that plug in early. We get it. We're going to talk all about 48 hours. We're going to talk about CBS. Um, but I also, we, what we like to do here on the show, I don't know if you've listened to episodes in the past, what we like to do is we like to um, basically get to find out who we're talking to because some of the people that we introduce our audience to may not be, uh, you know, like you're, you're basically like, you're a celebrity, Marion. You've been around for a long time. But okay. most uh, you can't, a lot of people you can't Google. You know, because uh, we have a lot of uh, law enforcement. They might uh, be, you know, heroes in, the, in in our world, but to the average person, they might not know. So what we'd like to do is we get the background. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I always start off with the same question. Mary, where are you from? <laughs> I was born in the Bronx. We spent a few years in Queens. And then Queens. I grew up in Nassau in East Meadow. Okay. Nassau wow. County. I went to I was East Meadow High School. Oh, really? The one, we were in neighboring communities. Yeah, Wow. I went to Queens College uh, when I got out of high school, and then I got a job at the New York Daily News, an entry-level job at the New York Daily News, uh -huh. at the so worst hours, at the bottom of the heap. What was your route? <laughs> <laughs> that's why you say that, but you know, my father was a driver for the Daily News, uh, actually. That's a good union uh, job, though. He yeah. did all right. And, he, yeah. and he's just whipping match from out the truck oh, yeah, while you're, you're running. They kill more I, people than serial <laughs> murderers, those guys. Now, now, now. <laughs> On those big packs of newspapers. They had yeah, the old days, man. They had their. So when they had some organized crime issues. Were you at the with, with, with the paper boy hat on? And no, 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 no. He he was a driver for the news. It was a tough job, actually. Not unlike the police was world. Was it like a union job too? Yeah. Right, back then. Yes, it was. It was. He, and your he, degree wasn't in uh, journalism, right? No, I majored in philosophy. Philosophy. Oh, yeah. yeah, I majored in philosophy. It helps you bullshit your way out of things, right? Uh, it's, it turned out to be very helpful, actually. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, what, was the, what was the movie? Uh, Life? Uh, the, the, he says to him, what, what is your occupation when they got to step up and tell the occupation so they can get their welfare check? And the, 
History of the World Part One. Oh yeah, you know okay, that's he's... funny. <laughs> Mel Brooks, no? Yeah, it was Mel Brooks. He that's says, funny. Uh, I'm a philosopher. Oh, professional bullshit artist, something like that, was it? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, when I was in uh, college, my dad uh, sat me down in the kitchen, or he joined me in the kitchen. And he had one of those, you know, father-son moments uh-huh. where he asked me, uh, so, uh, Murray, um, what are you studying? Uh-huh. And I was like a senior maybe then. Yeah. And uh, What, in high school or in college? I was in college. Okay. I was in college, and I said, uh, well, I'm studying philosophy. Uh-huh. And he looked at me, and he said, virtually, he said, you know, the last time I looked in the newspapers, I didn't see too many, uh, <laughs> philosophers. you know, philosophers wanted and uh, help wanted I'm pages. just curious, like, what type of kid were you? Was this just to get laid? You wanted to get into philosophy? Thing? No, no, no. If I, if, actually, if I wanted to do that, when I graduated, I, I actually got some scholarships to go to graduate school uh-huh. in California and right. other places, but... You would have fit right in there. All I would have, I would have become like a professor of philosophy, talking to all these young, pretty yeah, surfer yeah, girls, yeah, right. and they I probably would have had a lot more fun How'd than I did. How you convince the Daily News to hire you with a philosophy degree? That's a... Well, A, my dad worked there, so I guess I had a tiny leg up, bit, but the yeah. truth is... Um, uh, I wanted to, when I growing up where we grew up. If you grew up in Levittown, mm-hmm. I I was chomping at the bit to get out of there. Yeah. To be honest with you, sure. and you became a law enforcement person, so maybe we have something in common in the sense that you want to do things that have a lot more activity. You want to sure. meet and talk to different people yeah. and have different kinds of life experience. I also wanted to be a writer. Um, and when I got out of school, it was like, well, what am I going to do? So I came home one day. My father told me this story many years later, not too long before he passed, actually. We were chatting. And he said, I came home one day, and I said to him in his bedroom, I said, hey, you'll never guess where I went today. And he goes, where'd you go? I said, I went to the Daily News. And I went up there to get a job. I was pretty much out of college. And the guy who did the hiring said to me, I went there, I had a little tie, yeah. a little sweater, sleeveless sweater. Yeah. And... Uh, he said, you know, this is the New York Yankees, Murray. You should really, like, go to Winona, Kansas. Yeah, exactly. Get a job. We got a newsroom full of people here who worked at mm-hmm. the greatest papers in America. Who was the famous writers there when you first started? When I first started, Jimmy Breslin was there. Oh, he was there. Pete Hamill was there. Wow. Um, um, Were they like the Dick New York? Young was there. Who was oh, this? Dick Young? sport writer. Who was the Dick Young Pete Hamill. Oh, yeah. Breslin. Uh, Dick Young, they had tremendous Broadway columnists then. Did they intimidate you with their I celebrity? wound up, well, not the, uh, not the newspaper guys, the, uh, the news side guys. Mm-hmm. When I started, I was like on the overnight copy boy shift. Mm-hmm. The guy really started me at the bottom because I said what to is him. That? What is that copy boy? Oh, God. You do everything from getting coffee for reporters mm-hmm. to uh, collecting all their copy that they, in those days, people used typewriters. and there was, right, there right. was actually, you know. We used to use typewriters yeah. to a few years ago in the NYPD. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a crummy hour, crummy days off, and all my friends were, you know, had better normal jobs. And I'm working a, weekends even back then, and it's midnight. Like a Twenty-four hour thing. Right? Oh yeah, it was yeah, totally. You know, you work. But it was great. It was great to be in contact with with, with, with all these kind of characters mm-hmm. and and you know to be to become part of a world where all the names in the newspaper came alive. Number one, but I knew I was on a path to meeting different kinds of people and having different right kinds place. of life experiences yeah. and writing and I wanted to write so it was a great place to go. Was everyone smoking cigarettes oh, back yeah. then? Oh yeah, smoking and drinking. So the newsroom must have been like a cloud, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. There was no carpeting. <laughs> did you smoke back then? I did. Yeah. I did. Everyone I did. quits, right? Yeah. So uh, this, I'm curious, still curious about the philosophy thing. 
so basically, philosophy major, you're studying like Homer and Socrates and stuff like that? Well, not some of them, but mostly a little more current. I was a little more current. Like who? Who's current? I started, I we started like Aristotle and Plato. We started, you know, people yeah, like get any more Kierkegaard and, Sar oh, and Sartre. And Pla Plato was more current than Socrates? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I... I, I, I I think they were more contemporary. There, give me one modern but day Sartre, philosopher. Sartre, you know. Uh, when was this? He was 19... 1980? 1900s. Oh, okay. Give me the new one. Is there some There's guy, nobody now I know. Is there some guy making a breakthroom no. philosophy no, no. right yeah. now? The mail. I'm not quite as up on my <laughs> philosophers. Well, Ed, Ed Mullins. Day, Ed Mullins. Yeah. Modern day philosophy would probably be a rapper, right? True. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. He's telling the thing that's in the streets, true. yeah. That's so. true. That's okay, true. so... Um, but it came in handy when I became the police bureau chief for the Daily News, mm -hmm. being a, a philosophy major. It helped what me a lot mean? in my. It helped me be a very good reporter. I studied one of the things you studied was something called epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, how you know stuff, mm -hmm. and fundamentally it, it, it deals with truth. What's truth? And as a journalist, your goal is to seek the truth, not unlike investigative police officers Find out what really happened, trying to yeah. get really happened. Yeah. So uh, I remember once a. Uh, a class of Columbia students came through my bureau at police headquarters. Oh, downtown. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, the professors, the class, of course, they're, they're they're younger. They were younger than me. I was pretty young. I was probably the youngest bureau chief they ever had. But the uh, students, of course, are interested in how'd you get here? And I said I study philosophy. <laughs> and then I said to them, I used to discuss death. Now I cover it. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's great. That's yeah, great. It's kind of cool. Uh, what year was this, Maury? Well, I joined the news in like 1974. I hate to say it because it sounds so long wow. ago. The and city was in a different place then. Unbelievable. Right? I was 22. So that's Maybe. that's when you you were 22 when you walked in like with the with the, the sweater vest and yeah yeah, yeah. and uh -huh. I had to go over to the New York Times and get the newspapers off their uh, printing presses when they came off and bring them back to the news and I had to bring copies of the news to the Times because that was kind of there they had a little quid arrangement that we'll see quid pro quo yeah, there, exactly right? exactly <laughs> we'll see what you know you're publishing and what we have the Daily News at the time was the biggest paper in America. Wow. I mean by far it was powerful and it was I huge. I saw that, that you mentioned that you wrote that somewhere. Um, and no matter which paper you're working in, there's always one better. Is that something, a quote that I, I recall? I don't. Something close I'm, to that? I'm not sure what, yeah. I read that in my in the, in the background stuff. Uh, just a comment uh, basically on, you know, what's the difference between the post and the news. Oh. And you basically said, no matter where you work, there's always a paper that's above you. Yeah. Something like that. That's true. Well, the, the news was number one when I was there. And obviously it's not that well read any longer um and obviously the web has been a big change the post was actually nobody went to the post when i went to it it was a major event right. when well, i left rupert the daily murdoch, news rupert murdoch bought it right yeah so, you know yeah. you mentioned that and um between the two papers that nowadays the daily news and the new york post i couldn't tell you a cop that would read the daily news it's always the post and because yeah, well, you know the, once biased or we feel anyway as police officers that the post Axis and the Daily News is against us. Well, when I was at the Daily News, the Daily News was read by the police. Uh -huh. Well, at that time, it was a it was a working working so called working man's newspaper. Okay. Um, and the police, you know, we had a big bureau. When I joined their police bureau, I was uh, tell us obviously about I went, that. Well, I went from a, being a copy boy to being a reporter in about less than two years, which was pretty good. And then the, that two year period, I was working. I worked for all these columnists. It was, a lot, it was a lot of fun, the travel editor. Sure. I mean, I could tell you a million stories about that. But anyway, to fast forward, um, I wound up uh, working overnight. I worked in Queens. I worked in Brooklyn. 
each for about six months to a year. That was the, the drill back then. Then I worked overnight. And when you got off the overnight shift, the Metropolitan Editor kind of asked you where you wanted to go. And I said, you know, I've been working nights for like a year and a half here. Um, all I've been kind of doing is covering the police. So <laughs> the one thing I don't want to do is really cover the police anymore. And I was doing investigative reporting when I was in Brooklyn and uh, Queens. So, of course, they sent me to police headquarters. <laughs> they was revamping the bureau where there. Is, where, so where's your room in 1PP? Oh, the Daily News had a big room with like six reporters on the, on the second floor. floor. Second it was on the second floor, floor where the uh, now the, uh, the operation... Uh, or, uh, you know, real-time crime. You guys even get is. the better parking spaces than uh, I actually got. We did? A, I got a ticket once, parking in press parking at one Is that right? <laughs> yeah. you, try to, you try to steal your we, spot there. Back uh, then, the press had power. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we had a big man. problem with parking. Yeah. We, we, no, we, we, we had the department a little bit running in fear with of these us. With these, like you said, you were an investigative reporter. What was it like in 1973, 75, going out into real bad neighborhoods and maybe investigating that's shooting a, or a homicide. That's an interesting thing for me. You know, when I worked in Brooklyn. Um, the uh, Brooklyn editor decided that he wanted to have more coverage at night at, uh, you know, Civic Association and Board of Ed meetings. Mm -hmm. And I, I would go out to East New York, Brooklyn at night. Mm -hmm. I, I, interestingly, the editor was an African-American guy, and he was sending me into East New York. And, and I'd you go weren't wander strapped the, either, right? No. <laughs> and I actually think that part of the reason that uh, either I was on my toes enough to be cautious and careful, uh, but riding the subways was uh, all those years. People can't right? have a people have no idea how inherently frightening it was. Mm -hmm. How walking down corridors that weren't lit, um, you know, you turn corners and you have no idea what's like going to be house. there. It's, uh, it was it, like when you walked with a candle through a haunted house in a movie. That's what it was, the subways yeah, were like. Yeah, only, you know, it's not a movie on TV. Slow You're joke. watching from the comfort of your uh, couch. Yeah. So anyway, I always felt that part of the reason I didn't get harassed is that people assumed that I had to be a police officer. Why would a white guy be walking yeah. through, yeah, and then walking through our neighborhood here Do a with shirt and tie style, on? Yeah. He has to be a, a cop. It's rare that you talk to somebody that uh, remembers New York like that. When it was a different time, you try to explain to somebody how different neighborhoods had different boundaries and how you really wouldn't go into a certain neighborhood at night. Not obviously if you weren't working as a reporter, but I'm just saying the average civilian wasn't really going into certain neighborhoods. People would warn you against it. If you were on the subway and you were heading uptown somewhere about 96th Street, if you were still white, some, if they cared for you, they'd stop. Hey, my friend, white... Oh, conductor, stop. We got a white boy here. He needs to get off. <laughs> wow. It was scary for everybody. Yeah. Um, not just me going through some of those neighborhoods. I remember, you know, every year we used to do a, uh, or I used to try to do a piece on the uh, the precinct that had the dubious distinction of having the most homicides. Yeah. So I remember one year I went up to the 44th precinct mm -hmm. in the high bridge section. Yeah. And I met the lieutenant up there. It was a nice guy. His name was Montanino. And he, uh, he was really worn. You know, he was worn, like tired worn, sure. but he was good. And he had a uh, sergeant, his detective sergeant there. His name was, I think, Gaspari Bruno. <laughs> and uh, he was famously asked, um, uh, you know, what was this homicide about, you know? And uh, his answer was, ah, it was a dispute. And then it was like, well, what was the dispute over? And he goes, ah, it was a dispute over a dispute. <laughs> <laughs> That's how many homicides there were uh -huh. and why people were just killing each other. 
So anyway, but that piece, in that piece, it was a very touching piece, actually, and, and it was one of my, uh, it was one, they ran the article above Jimmy Breslin's column. Wow. Which, which showed how much good, they, right? oh yeah, how much they really liked the story. But uh, the, in the story, I, the high, as you guys know, the 44th Precinct up there, it's, it's a very small geographic area. Mm-hmm. It includes Yankee Stadium, sure. of course, but it's very small. And I remember I went and got the stats for how many people got killed like in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And the number was like, in, you know, it was tiny compared sure. to the number of people who were killed. In the fourth part. In the fourth part. And I had all these yeah. comparisons yeah. just in the article, plus the, all, you know, the litany of, uh, of it had probably a hundred and something homicides. You described the lieutenant as being worn. Yeah, he was worn. What, 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 give us, what, what does that mean, worn, to the average person? That- you know, at the, I was interviewing him at the, end of the, at the end of the year, and you start going through the crimes, and the crimes are, you know, somebody went into a Chinese restaurant, they ordered, they ordered, you know, chicken, and then they just shot the guy behind the counter and killed him, and they left with only the chicken, you know. And right. the stories ran from that to, you know, three-year-old babies, you know, battered by parents and killed, you know, senseless, cruel, you know, every day this is what, you know, the guy comes to work and he's got on his board all the names of the dead and his charts. Well, with, you know, back what then, I doing. think the 4-4 was probably getting about 80 murders a year. I think they topped 100 that year. Did they really? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and robberies oh, yeah. were just like, yeah. it was out of control. So, you, you, know? Can, you know, you're talking about a human being who's coming to work every day and his job is to try to, um, you know, solve uh, homicides. And he's got a list, a growing list of people who were just murdered for... For, for or no you think you have a touch of PTSD from all of these stories? No, I don't. You don't. I, I, no, I don't. I, I, hope, have, I, I, you know. I hope not. I, I, you saw. You've seen some horrendous l- things. Late, right? Yeah, but late, late, and I say late in my career, uh, having been asked a thousand times about, you know, how do you cover? I mean, if you count the homicide cases that I've covered, it's in the tens of thousands. Right. You know, and I'll tell you a, a quick aside on that in a moment, but. You know, they say, and it does eat at you. Yeah, it sure. does eat at you. There's no doubt that it's saddening, it's crushing. Um, it is tough even to talk about it this way. But I, when people go, how do you handle that? I, I came up with the following uh, uh, justification or, or, or bomb to it all, or salve, if you will, is um, I, for every horrible crime I met, Dozens of people uh-huh. who were trying to solve it. Sure. And they're all good people. That's and I met a lot of terrific people along the way. So I kind of I kinda take that as a way to balance yeah. out the negative of it, yeah, to be honest with you. Do you have one that sticks in your mind as the worst homicide you ever covered? Uh, no, but obviously the, the toughest, the first one that actually comes to mind is like Nick's Mary Brown, a child who yes, was, yeah, yeah. was, you know, chained and bound. She and was in the two six and in the cell, the two, the, the lesbians that were, um, you know, there were two. No, no, no. This is a woman, a young girl in Brooklyn, right, a child. Oh, yeah. no, I thought it was the two, uh, with no, the no. chain to a radiator. That was a, was yeah, that yeah. No, that's Brooklyn. a different yeah, one. Yeah, no, I remember okay. the case. She was but anyway, that a uh, terrible, stuff, terrible, yeah. terrible story, but, uh, you know those those are you know those are bad, and you kind of just shake and you kind of try you to move beyond them. You think when you write a them. story about that, the public can really understand the horror of it from how you write the story? I try to, I try to, uh, I try to not only write the story in whatever detail as best I can, mm-hmm. either from official sources or unofficial sources. And I remember a source of mine in that on that story actually 
was a high-ranking police official in Brooklyn, and he was quick to uh, steer me toward a, a, a point to make in uh, there was a failure. There was a, there was a government failure, and there were some issues surrounding it that he wanted highlighted. You mm -hmm. know, reporters are only as good as the, the information you get. Sure. And um, sometimes we think of angles that we want to pursue on stories, like why did this happen? How did, did, did the child welfare people mm -hmm. come and visit this house? Who may have, you know, are they- Dropped the ball. Yeah, well, yeah. Not, not necessarily to hang somebody, but if there's faults in a system, you know, if the system fails, you know, you try to do stories that have some impact that maybe change the way the game is played so that this doesn't happen again. And I remember being told, I can't remember specifically what it was, but I do recall that there was a very concerned police official of high rank who obviously trusted me and he was a source of mine. And he, uh, he made a point to me and I went and pursued it and, and it made the, I think it had an impact. That story had an impact just based on the and sheer power of oh, sources. Yeah. Oh, when, yeah. you, when you get to these crime oh, yeah. scenes, right? A lot of people don't realize, obviously this crime scene tape mm. and uh, you have to be on the outside of it. Mm. And you have probably a little area where most of you guys hang out. Yeah. Now, being on crime scenes, especially as a young detective, and thinking to myself, I don't know the rules, I don't know, I can't talk to these people. It would be like the scariest thing whenever one of you guys be like, hey detective, what happened? I'm like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> I would just run back inside because I didn't want to go on the record saying anything. Sure. I didn't know if I was allowed to. That's, um, that's a problem for reporters. But now, yeah, <laughs> but not only that, but then who are your sources? It becomes the, the neighborhood. <laughs> So you start asking possible witnesses that are in the area, did you see anything, obviously, the same way we do? Now... Mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't see it the way, or they see a piece of it. Everybody sees it their own way, but right. with us, the same way you were getting it from us, that's the way we get it from most people. Nah, 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 I didn't see nothing, I didn't right. see nothing. You know, you have to kind of sort of dig a little bit more. Mm -hmm. With reporters, on the other hand, I think you guys have... With the regular neighborhood people, those people, those uh, the, those possible witnesses, I think you have an easier way with them, don't don't you? Well, you know, we're not law enforcement, yeah. so you know, sometimes people will tell us things that they won't tell law enforcement people. And how how true is it though? I mean, how do you have an instinct that oh, this person's bullshitting me or not? Or do you always take it for whatever I, they no, say? Uh, no, you can't take it for just no. what they say. You have to understand that this is you know. I don't want to go back to philosophy here, but I mean, I, I, story, stories, no, but stories are like, you know, pentagons and hexagons. They have sure. multiple sides to uh -huh. them. And, you know, your mm -hmm. job as a journalist is to try to uh, get all the sides. And, well, my and, point is, you know, when you get to the scene and the cops won't talk to you, and then all of a sudden, you know, out of uh, these three witnesses, this guy is actually, you know, he's mm -hmm. the closest thing to mm -hmm. like a... Well, some reporters will just run with whatever gets said, and so then let the, me just, the, I'll put, the police get to Take this little piece and put that piece and put that together just to get it out. Right. And then the story kind of unfolds as the story goes along, depending on how much uh, traction it gets. Correct. Um, how popular it is in, in that, in that, at that time. Well, you, you know, you well, got to vet uh, the information, whether it's coming yeah. from the police department or whether it's coming from a witness on the street. Correct. You can't just take what the police department says, and you can't take what a witness on the street says. The police well, department may have a spin they want to put of on Of course, it, right? but you'd like to believe the police department is a little more sure. honest uh, in there, whatever. But when we read the paper, they tell you? Yeah. and we were at the scene the night before, right? and you're telling somebody this didn't happen, this is what happened. You right. know what I'm saying? And I know why that happens is because we're not talking to you for the most part. Right. That happens. And then you're getting all your hearsay from the street. 
So I'm just imagining the job is pretty difficult to try to put all this stuff together and yes. for an article that you know that's probably going to change and evolve. Well, I like to think when I first listen, I don't want to self-congratulate here, but uh, a guy that was like a deputy mayor many years ago when I first started said he loved to read my crime stories, mm-hmm. you know, in the newspaper every day. So because when he read them, he really felt he got the full story, mm-hmm. and. Um, I didn't realize how great a compliment that was until many, many years later. But it's it's true in the sense that, for me personally, I can't speak for all reporters, I think the goal is that. Mm -hmm. The goal is that. And and the police department, you know, they play a role in what the information is. And when they're they're not participating Mm -hmm. in that, you know, they run the risk of, you know, a vacuum being filled. You know that uh, they lose. Are you they lose. detective a- along the way there too a little sure. bit. Oh, sure. Because sure. you know, you, the, like you said, the police probably aren't talking sure. to you. Maybe uh, you got a couple of uh, good leads off the of the witnesses in the street, and then all of a sudden you start looking around and start putting together what you think might have happened, right? Correct. But you know, I learned I learned a long time ago that uh, reporters. You know, you only you 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 think you know something, and you know ten facts. Mm-hmm. And the, let's say the police department or the detectives mm-hmm. know eighty facts because right. you you guys have access and power we don't mm-hmm. have. Um, and you talk to reporters, and they they actually think they know something. Mm-hmm. And then one more fact comes in, and the whole story changes because yeah. they learn something else. And well, yet, you, know, you always pro- have to keep that in mind. One of the big problems is speed and accuracy are not friends. And yeah. reporters want to put it out quickly. Particularly you, today. Yeah, and you cannot get the truth quickly. Particularly it today. It takes time. Investigation yeah. takes time. Particularly today. Talk about that. The Talk way, about the, the news cycle the way it is now compared to obviously. <laughs> well, I was in, I was in uh, the newspaper business for a very long time. And I did a lot of stories on crushing deadlines. Particularly when I worked in the evenings. You know, there'd be an incident, say a police officer gets shot. Tell us what that's like, that deadline thing. Oh, back then, is back then it's an incredible experience. You know, people. This, a friend, there's a woman named Mary McGrory, and she once said, "I always felt sorry for people who never worked at a newspaper." <laughs> and, and there's some truth to that in the sense that you know it's 11 p.m. and something happens, and you're trying to get the story very quickly. Why? The whole production aspect of a newspaper mm-hmm. is so different than today's world of digital news sure. and instantaneous news. And and you're mindful of getting and then the writing process, and it's on paper back then, and then the piece of paper gets handed to somebody else who edits it or reads it, and then it gets sent downstairs to the printers who linotype it. Then it goes through the whole paper process and into the trucks mm-hmm. and delivered, and then people read it maybe five, six, seven hours later, mm-hmm. but they're getting, you know, police officer shot, here's what happened, right. da 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 And that's like, in those days, instant news, but it's a process that takes yeah. hours, and actually, hours, and sure. you're at the front end of it. So you're really trying to gather stuff very quickly and get it out very quickly. Mm-hmm. In today's world, people want to gather stuff quickly and get it out. The process that you go through to get it out, now I left, I was at, I was at the Daily News for a long time. My resume is, I was a reporter there. I became a police bureau chief there, a chief investigative reporter. I worked at City Hall. Then I left. I became a criminal justice editor at the New York Post. I worked out of the newsroom. At one point, I actually ran the, the, the newsroom for Pete mm-hmm. Hamill when the Post was almost closing right. and going out yeah. of business. It was a wacky period. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
I've done a, I've done a tremendous amount of uh, investigative reporting. Then I left and I went to write a news column at uh, DNA, DNA Info, yes. which was an all New York News website and digital. But anyway, well, in that world, Go ahead. To, to, to circle back, is that, you know, you want to beat your competition on mm, stories. Yeah. You know, I'm as competitive as the next guy. Right. But all you have to do is push a button and it's published. And so that is that instantaneous mm -hmm. moment can happen like that as and opposed you might, you to pull it back. Wait, that's not you right. Know, yeah, <laughs> you can't stop the process yeah. once it goes. What I learned in oh. that that's fascinating is you lose the creative end of it because once it's out, everybody steals it. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> they almost yeah. forget where, where it started. Well, I used to, when I was in homicide as a sergeant in homicide from uh, 2002 to 2011, I used to write what we called the bullets, and then it became mm -hmm. the police. Um, the preliminary investigative worksheet. Yeah, I used to and love that getting used, them. Right. That was used to brief the police commissioner and the press. Well, but I used it, to it, hopefully get them oh. before the police commissioner. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, but those were tough to write because it was like writing a term paper at right. work, you know? Mm -hmm. And like you say, all the you don't have all the facts yet. So mm -hmm. you're writing this. Sometimes it would take six or seven hours to write. They're like, it has to be done by six yeah, in let's the morning. Go. And I'd be like, ah! You know, and captains would read it and say, you got to change this. I'd be fuck you, I'm not changing shit, you know, because yeah. it was so stressful writing the thing, you know. Well, when, we, when we go to court to testify on a, on, on a red light summons, um, you'll get a piece of paper this way, and it's basically like fill in the blanks. Right. On so-and-so, this, that, and the other. So when you're writing an article, uh, is, is it almost like that in a way? Like, do you have, because you, you become so good at it. You talked about deadline. You talked about editing. There has to be a format. This has to, I have to mention this, this has to go here, this, that, and the other. So you already know before you start writing the things. Uh, most like times, most times. There was a guy, I think there was some guy who worked for a San Francisco newspaper who once said he had a, he, he had like a folder file that was like, you know, there's only like 50 stories like in the all sort of, yeah. But personally, I don't agree with that. We yeah. had the folder in the, in the, in the, the detective squad. The 49 folder. That, that's a, a unusual occurrence. Unusual yeah. occurrence thing that we have to. So you'd go in the folder, you'd find one that was similar to your incident, and then you would just fill in the date and the times. <laughs> well, I, I would say, I would say the a, journalism part of it is a little more complicated than that, particularly if you're really trying to craft a story, as you were saying before, that really has impact when people read it. Uh -huh. You know, your selection of quotes, some of the words you choose, how you, how you, how you. Yeah, you guys how, were like the best say, writers. How you say the worst something. writers were on the NYPD. Those, <laughs> well, those, a lot of those. I, I agree with that. that <laughs> he didn't like my PIWs. No, oh my God, and TPO, like uh, the, the most boring. I taught everybody that ever worked for me: don't trust New York City police spelling. <laughs> Uh, oh, the spelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't have a, you know, and that well, includes the names of the victims. I so many, I was so many things I want to know. Okay, so you obviously worked. Uh, we're going to cover uh, forty-eight hours, but before we get there, one of the jobs before that was uh, DNA. You talked right. about you wrote for them. Right. So now you're coming out of, um, you know, the, just the the history of newspapers, like exactly what everybody can envision what it was like, but now you're, also, now you're going into the digital era mm -hmm. because this is a different format. How well did you adjust? How easy was that? What, what's the difference? It was, uh, it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment, particularly... Um, I think the thing that, it, that was most troubling is what I alluded to before, is that you'd work on something and you'd have a scoop, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, as soon as it was published, it was like... Everyone else stole your... It gets... Yeah. It, 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 also, the power of it, mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, the power of the internet, you know, when you worked at a newspaper, it's an amazing phenomenon. You work in a newspaper, 
and you ride the subway, and you can actually see people reading your stories. Oh, you know, yeah. then, you know, and, and, and particularly in the earlier years, I didn't have my my photograph with mm -hmm. every every mm -hmm. column or story I wrote. Um, which happened. You, you ever know. see a hot girl in the subway reading your article and you stop moving next to <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, look at that. Well, this daily news name tag. I, 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 yeah, right. My little ID card. Yeah. I wish I was, I wish I had that kind of chutzpah, so to speak. I might have I fared a little better. I'm not sure if my girlfriends at the time would have liked it. But, but um, even if it's not my own story, but, you know, the thing is that you kind of know, you kind of know hundreds of thousands of people like the, the Daily News just sell like a million and a half mm -hmm. a day, and 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 the Post was at almost close to a million or eight hundred thousand. So you know you're on the front page, you're on page sure. two. You mm -hmm. know people are reading your stories. You don't even. I'm already thinking what's mm -hmm. tomorrow's story. That was kind of my thing, but you know it's laying around. People are reading it. It's a physical entity, mm -hmm. and you also you know you know it's getting passed around. It lays on a desk. Mm -hmm. You know you're reading it, then you're reading it. But for somebody to respond to you. You know, you get like a letter in oh, the mail wow. five days later, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Now it's like right away. So, yeah, so, so A, you're giving out a story, and it's like, shoom, it spreads. And you can, you can see it. You can actually see it spreading on the Internet. You know, you can see people picking it up, following it, sharing it. And similarly, depending on what it is, you can get a, a feedback from it. And, um, you know, the feedback can be very good, and it can be like, you know, you're an asshole, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You should be fired. When you, you know? get a story that is so huge and that you're covering it, do you get that extra adrenaline yes. and you yes. talk about yes. that? Not only do I get it on, on stories that, uh, breaking stories, or you get a, you, I will, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples, you know, but the adrenaline from, from a big story and then having access to something that you know makes this story even bigger or more important, mm -hmm. or investigative reporting, which, you know, when you get access to stuff or you work. I mean, I used to work on breaking stories and stories every day, and I was also doing investigative mm -hmm. reporting at the same time. So when you work on investigative pieces, there are moments where there are real breakthroughs, not unlike homicide cases. Yeah, you know, you're, you're working, you can't get it, and then you find something or you... You know, something turns up and it's like the eureka piece. Right. And you know that you have it. Now, the great thing for you guys is, you know, you can go out and do something about it. But for a journalist, now you have to sit down and write the whole story. And that's, that's, that's a, that can be a torturous process. Tough, but yeah. uh, the, 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 I've had experiences, and thousands of them, where uh, people... Is there a, a one big oh, story? I can give you a great example. Yeah, yeah this is a great example. example. This yeah. is a great example. So I was working at City Hall uh, for the Daily News in August of 1986. I'd been the police bureau chief for the Daily News, and this is in the 80s, so there's like, you know, 1,500, 1,800 homicides. It's a crazy busy 24-7 thing. You know, you guys, homicide in Upper Manhattan, you work on some cases and you're really busy, and then you get some downtime when right. you make you when you solve it. But if there's four people killed in Brooklyn the next day, Murray is off, off to Brooklyn. Off to Brooklyn. So that treadmill, that. that treadmill is permanent. Yeah, that treadmill is that. permanent. So I'm working at, uh, at uh, City Hall, and the uh, deputy metropolitan editor calls me up and he says, hey, Murray, you know, there's, uh, this, this girl got killed in the park yesterday and they, they have a college kid in custody. And I know you're not a police bureau chief anymore and we're taking a shot, but do you think you might be able to help us find out, you know, what it was like for that boy in custody last night? And I said, you know, there can't be but three people in the room with the suspect. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, no, I know, we know. But we just thought we'd ask. And I kind of knew when I said it that I had a shot. 
because I was friends with the homicide lieutenant who was the boss. Mm -hmm. And I rang him up and I said, hey, can you help me with, uh, with uh, this homicide of the girl in the park? And he said, yeah, you I was there. You about Jennifer Levin? Yeah, Jennifer Levin. Mm -hmm. I didn't, the yeah, preppy killer case. Yeah, yeah. The prep, what, what became known as the preppy murder case. Robert Chambers. Right. So, but uh, when, uh, when I got the phone call and I called uh, the source of mine, who I only identify as a source because he's dead. Right. At the mm -hmm. time, I would never reveal anything like this. But he said, yeah, I was there. I said, so what was it like for the, for the kid? And he said, uh, he said, well, here's what he said. And he gave me Robert Chambers' confession in real time. Wow. In real time. Like while it was happening. And I never forgot this. I, I had a yellow legal pad on my desk in room nine in City Hall. And I was writing. I was taking it down in longhand. And the whole thing, the yoking, the panties behind his back, you know, holding his hands behind his back. Um, and my hand was shaking. I couldn't quite believe what yeah. I was hearing. And I called into the newsroom, and I told uh, the uh, deputy metropolitan editor the confession. And he was like, what do you, you got to tell this to higher than me. And mm -hmm. I told it to the metropolitan editor. And he was like, Murray, what are you saying? And I said to him, what I'm saying, Arthur, is he's saying he killed her during rough sex. And those two words yeah, wow. I introduced to the American vernacular. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> and they were like walking around the newsroom. Hey, Murray's saying it's that during rough sex. That became his defense, too. Yeah. yeah cover yeah. cover yes. the paper. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cover and it became paper. page one. And years later, when I went to uh, the Post, the Post Metropolitan, and one night we were chatting, and he said, you know, the day you published that rough sex story was the worst day of my newspaper life. Because well, he worked for the well, other. He worked for the competition. That's and he got a phone call that, at home. But Murray, the, the Daily News is that publishing became, this account. That became a defense down the road, Forever. even after that. Yeah. People use yeah, yeah. which is continues. There was yeah. a, there continues to be yes. a defense. Yeah. Yep. How do you feel about that, Murray? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not the attorney. I'm only reporting what Robert Jack Chambers went ran with yeah. that. Right. Yeah. He yeah. was Robert Chambers' attorney. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a that was a that's a scene from a movie right there. Yeah. That was a huge. That was a huge moment for me. But I, I've had a, quite a number of experiences exactly like that on very big stories. I can see, um, you know, when I used to get a, a big homicide that was like, I knew was like a huge case, I would get that feeling too, that adrenaline, mm. and then I just wanted to push my guys and help yeah, I solve this case, you know? Ever. Can I tell you another story? One of your other yeah, stories? Yeah, I love sure. it. This is what you hear, man. We oh, want okay. to hear all That's of them. Stories are great. So you may recall there was a volcanic explosion in Midtown one day, and uh, everybody thought maybe it's another terrorist event. And it turned out like it was a huge underground explosion. Cavern opened up like on 45th Street, and a car fell into it. A woman yeah, was killed. That, and there were huge, huge plumes of smoke, and they evacuated buildings for the daughter's terrorist thing. And it made the evening news. It was a huge story. And that was like on a Thursday, I think. So I came to work on Friday. So I, had, I covered that story, right? And it wasn't a terrorist event, it was, but it was a massive con ed kind of thing. And I came in the next morning, and I called a friend of mine who was a source that I had in the fire department. And he actually told me, you know, there was another person in that car right, oh, that shit. nearly was killed. It wasn't killed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? you got to talk to him or her. Yeah. So he gave me the name. He told me the hospital, and I phoned it in. And um, uh, we went up to the hospital. We interviewed this woman. And, like, here it's 1030 in the morning, and I'm like, hey, got page one scoop for tomorrow. Wow. Right? I was very happy. But here's the... 
the interesting part of this story is I was going on vacation the next day, allegedly. And vacations never existed. <laughs> they never existed. They never really existed. Allegedly. So on Jones Beach instead. <laughs> almost. Cover I, was, story. I was actually supposed to go out to the island and play some golf for mm -hmm. uh, a few days with some people. But anyway, I had gotten a tip that morning as well that a... Uh, that the FBI was investigating a uh, maybe a referee for betting on games. Oh, an NBA yeah, game. wow, this is great. So I gave them this page one story, which everyone's like, oh, this is great. Uh -huh. We found another victim. We got exclusive pictures in the hospital. I survived this volcanic whatever. And then I realized around 2 or 3 in the afternoon that I hadn't followed up on this tip, and I'm going away for a week. The one about the basketball. About the basketball uh -huh. guy, right? And, and the editor of the newspaper was aware of this. So I knew that sometime in the day, there's a very good chance that I'm going to get a phone call. Like, hey, by the way, whatever happened with that basketball? Yeah, your golf date is fucked. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, can, you know where this story's going. So around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, holy shit, I haven't like made any calls on this other uh, thing. And I'm going away, supposedly. So I started calling some people I knew here in New York about the, F the FBI. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them said to me, you know, you really should call somebody in Washington about this. Oh, wow. Which signaled to me that there was some truth to it. So I wound up calling somebody in Washington that I knew, who used to work in New York, and was down in Washington. And this person, I'll never forget this. This person says to me, oh, uh, hold on, Murray, for a second. So I hold on. He says, I think I saw something like this. And I can hear the paper. He's going through paper on his mm -hmm. desk. And I'm just sitting there silently. And he goes, oh, yeah, here it is. And then he says to me, you know, you got to call the New York office mm -hmm. about this. So now he's telling me I got paperwork on case, my desk yeah. that you're right. Mm -hmm. So then I call, uh, I call back to New York, and I basically tell him, you know, that I have the story. and, and uh, But you don't even have the story. I mean, oh, I had it now. No, okay. I told him what I had. Okay. And he was like, you know, he was confirming I, that he had it, mm -hmm. that I had it. It's on my desk, but you should... You got to call the New York office officially, kind of thing. Yeah. And I did, and they said to me, they said, you know, um, we're going to get back to you because people's lives may be at stake. And now I knew I had the story, yeah. right? So, and we're talking about the story that there's a movie coming out about it now, right? The referee that was. Um, I don't know if they're doing a movie on it. Been what, what, what's the story about? It, the referee that was skimming, right? He was. He, um, he was in bed. NBA, he, he, right? He, yeah, he was. He was the white in guy, bed with uh, some. The Irish guy, right? He, he was in bed. Yeah, Tim Donahue is. There's thing. a movie coming out right now this month about oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. All about that, yeah. How come you weren't given a part? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, we, we I keep. I need a sad card. I want to. I want to get to the. This is so interesting to me. We keep talking about source. You mentioned that so, the word source a lot. Right. Now, also, how many different type of sources? As a reporter in New York City, to make your way around, uh, to make your job work better for you, you have to know everybody everywhere, right. and have a good relationship with them. Yeah. In order to. Make your job easier. Also, you can help them too, right? Yeah. Well, so you know, you're, you're going to know people down in court. You're going to know people, obviously, the cops. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to know people in restaurants. Uh, that's important to know. Restaurants, yes, very important. You ever get like, you ever get Elaine's? Like, Elaine's was a good place. Did you ever get charged for meal and squeeze squeeze that into a story about how bad that restaurant is? No, because they charged you. No, you no, never did that. No, no, no. You never squeezed like I, into I, I, the well, maybe that's a yeah. I was gonna say maybe that's oh, a I police forgot. thing. That's a cop thing. Yeah, that'd be a police thing. That's what we would do. I don't. No, 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 no. 
Well, you know, we have we have expensive. But I'm just talking so about the personality that it takes to be a good reporter in this. I mean, everybody I, remembers Jimmy Breslin so I, much, I that think, bigger well, than life character. You're the same way too, easygoing, a real New Yorker. You could talk to everybody. That's important, right? It's very important. Uh, you know, people ask me, even reporters. You know, how do you get your sources? And I say, well, you cover stories every day for seven years, and you'll get some sources. Mm -hmm. And the the reality of that is that people deal with you. If you quote them accurately and they read your story, mm -hmm. then the next time they maybe they'll talk to you again. These are like your your CIs, your confidential informants yeah, out yeah. there, right? Yeah, no. We uh, use CIs and you you have sources. If you have if you have like uh, five, four or five lieutenants in homicide around town, oh, you're set for life, goals, right? Yeah, oh yeah, you're good. But for well, how do you years. how do you um, you know <laughs> uh, start the, these relationships? I I, I not well. I think it's a phone call at a time, to be honest with you. Oh, you start off, you, it's not, so you're not waiting for an initial meeting at a crime scene, actually, right? No, no there's sometimes you meet people when you, you go to crime scenes. But, you know, as my career moved, I didn't go uh -huh. as much to the crime scenes. But I dealt with people a lot, you know, at police headquarters, telephonically. You And then when I started, you know, the police reporters covered the police department. Mm -hmm. But fate, whatever my personality, there were... A tremendous amount of policy issues mm -hmm. emerging. There were issues about merging the various police departments in the city. There were race issues. There were hiring issues. There were corruption issues. Um, there were issues about revolving doors of justice that the courts w couldn't handle the, mm -hmm. the volume of crime. Uh, whether And many of these issues still exist today in a different way, obviously. But as, as the bureau chief, I kind of expanded my reach, if you will. I became, uh, I started covering did terrorist you, did cases, you? organized crime cases. I dealt a lot with the FBI. I knew prosecutors. I even knew judges. These young reporters that are working under you, because you're like the bureau chief now, right? At that Down time, there. yeah. So yeah. if they came back to you with the lead, a lot of times you're like, oh, you know what? I know the lieutenant over there. Let me give him a call. I could. I could right. help So them. that's how I it kind of sort of works sure. in a way, yeah. Sure. Or I tell them what to do. It behooves, though, um, cops or to also have a relationship with reporters, why? Why is it good for cops? Yeah. That's a peculiar question. That's a really good question because sometimes I often wonder Because we're why. always nervous until we get to not, know. Not all of you are nervous. It's, not all of us, but don't, you're talking about levels. seasoned guys. And before levels. you get seasoned, you the, have to... The world was different. When I started, the relationship between the press and, 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 and police was a lot more interactional. Mm-hmm. Um, then it changed, you know, it changed. There was, listen, if you really, the, the, when I started, cops and reporters hung out a lot more, yeah. you know? I mean, there were, there were guys who used to come down from the Major K squad. Sure. I was a young reporter, mm -hmm. so they weren't coming down to see me, but they were coming down to the Daily News office to sure. BS with some of the older reporters who were there. You know, they became friends. Well, you know, there, when other. there's like a give and take, like you can help the police and the police can help you, that's a good thing. I but think, you know. I think to answer your question really honestly, I think it depends on the... First of all, if you look at the old movies, you know, the cops and the reporters were There's always the together. Okay. Yeah. He's got his, <laughs> right, right. his hat is so, bent so, up. So, hey. Yeah, get that idea. So, hey, Captain, let me ask you a question. Yeah, and the press had a lot of power. But the, 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 when I first started, you know, the administration that was in power, um, they had a very strong feeling about their that providing information to the press and having a relationship with them was part of the public service mm -hmm aspect of the police department, mm -hmm. that we are a public entity, and that we function better mm -hmm. when we interact 
with the public, where the public knows yeah. what we're doing, that we're not a secret society. And, and I came around post-SNAP commission. So there was a sense that, you know, the police department had, you know, its corruption issues. And when they were trying to clean it up, they felt that part of the reason that the corruption existed is that they were a closed society, not open to enough public scrutiny. And the administration opened up. So I came in an era where the department itself saw its advantage in being open, being communicative communicating with the public, and also the public had a right to know a lot of stuff. But you know something, Murray, I just want to... Uh, and that's changed, throw something out there. I want to be clear that that's I think changed. the police department now has a sort of a philosophy of almost giving too much to the press. And, and from my point of view, mm -hmm. when I was in homicide, it hurt our cases mm -hmm. because the department had this thing through DCPI. Did it really hurt your case? Yeah. You lost the yeah. case? No, no, it threatened witnesses by putting their names in the paper yeah, or perpetrators that were ID'd that we needed a statement from, they mm -hmm. put their name in the paper. Now the guy's going to lawyer up. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I Made really... Made your job object. harder. Yeah, much, much harder. Right. And almost impossible well, sometimes. Well, you know? to go back to uh, the yeah. point that I want, I was trying to get at, the, 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 you need to rely a little bit on getting information from the police for your stories, but how can... The, the average cop up there, because you major, you, you mentioned something, major crime, being somewhere, socializing. But I'm talking about the before the cop becomes like this uh, detective or a seasoned cop, you know, he's got to have that interaction. What what benefit is it for the cop? Like, what can we... No, there has to be, because a lot of times no. <laughs> I want to let stuff out to the public Why? about my case. Why? To help me catch my person. Oh, I see. So I want to set almost like a trap up. Right. And you're my, you're my, you're so my you're gonna source. Me. You're going to use me. You're my source, me. yes. I see. Because we have this relationship. Is this a disinformation campaign? No, 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 no. It's a like, real thing. I mean, I there's situations where you want to get a, right. you know, somebody out. Maybe the witness is dirty, right. too. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're not giving you the information that well, you're, you're yeah. trying to get out of them. So we're going to, uh, we're going to divulge a little bit. Hey, just so you know, check out the witness because they're, they're dirty, too. Right? Yeah. And that helps my case. Right. So before we get to that point, like just so I want the cops out there to you know, use the reporters the same way they use us. Well, you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's reporters like. Can we trust you? Well, you got to find somebody you can trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you also have to be careful that you're not trying to, you know, as a reporter, you have to be very careful that people aren't using you. Like you know? what I just said. And that, like, and that you're, you're actually being played potentially, you know, with bad information, mm -hmm. not necessarily good information you know we have we, journalists have to make a decision what they print mm. you know um but I, you know I'm, I'm always open to hearing anything from anybody um that was sort of my my philosophy well it <laughs> seems like your job in some ways is a lot like ours you know oh, getting sure. out the truth and finding the truth and it's not always easy to find and the, the truth. best ones are social the best ones are the ones that know how to go out there they learn their neighborhood, wherever they're, you know, their environment where they're working, and they're not afraid, you know, not afraid that they're social people. Yeah. You know, you could just go, yeah. and you, you have to have that ability to start talking to anybody. Yeah. A good Did you cry when they closed the lanes? <laughs> I was there when they closed it. I closed it a few nights myself. <laughs> you know, what do you drink, Murray? What's your drink? Well, I got it. Like I evolved Scotch guy it. No, I, I probably was. I evolved into martinis. Oh, now you're a martini, but you were a uh, Scotch drink. I was a bartender. Mar martinis. So martinis. Uh, martinis. <laughs> I was yeah. a bartender. Sometimes I can really almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Predict what someone drinks by I looking was, at them. I was, I was a know? Scotch guy Scotch in my guy, younger yeah. career, younger days. Yeah, now yeah, you're a martini yeah. guy. Yeah. Vodka? 
Yes. 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 Well, you know what? We, we, we're, we're approaching the end of the first hour. We're going to take a break after that. But before we go, just so you can start thinking about some of the stuff that I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about the new term, fake news. Mm. Um, I want to also talk about, we covered a little bit about the uh, Jennifer Levin. I want to hear more about that. But also, too, the John Edwards story was very interesting to me. When you get involved in a story like that, where it can alter her up. Well, before, let's end on that one. I mean, you're, you're a reporter right now. Well, who, who was uh, you doing that story for at the time? Tina Info, the John Edwards story. Okay, so that's, that's interesting, too, because now we're in this new media age. It's digital, and the, co- the story is going to be updating itself constantly, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you come across this uh, because that's a big, the, the source in that story is huge, too. Yeah. Because they were trying to tell you it didn't happen, but you're, you really trusted your source. Tell us about it. Well, um, the John Edwards story they refer to was during the, uh, what they call the Millionaire Madam case, or the Sockham Mom, the Sockham. John Edwards was running for president at he, the time. Right. He, he and this was been, against Clinton? Um, or Bush? I don't recall, actually. Well, he was a Democrat. He was trying to get the nomination. So he was running against Bush. Yeah. Um, he was trying to get the Democratic nomination. nomination yeah. And um, I knew somebody in law enforcement um, who I had interacted with many, many times mm-hmm. on some other stories I did. And some of them were investigative stuff that I that I uh, uncovered some wrongdoing. And it so wound wasn't, up in uh, the hands of somebody. <laughs> So it wasn't you at the prostitutes? Like, no, no, hey, no. you know who was just here? No, John Edwards. No, no, no. <laughs> and that wasn't no, you there? No. Murray, you're no. never going to guess who was just no, here. Right, right. <laughs> That's that, not how you got it? So, you know, that can happen, but not in this, not, not that thing. That, that's funny. Um, I'll tell you how I, when I first, no, I can't tell you about John, how I met Gandolfini. But anyway, so Edwards. Uh, now, so, now you open up that can of sorry, words. That's sorry. coming up in the second hour. He was trying to get the nomination that's from funny. John Kerry. I think John yeah, Kerry John, was running that for that okay. time. You have to forgive my memory about that case. So go ahead. But what I do remember is that uh, this law enforcement person who I was talking to had, uh, was involved in that case the, uh, and was, was intimate with... Um, they were going after the madam. Yeah. And uh, everybody was like, what's it? She has a black book. Whose names are in the book kind of thing. And it Which annoyed out. me, by the way. It was like one thing that was left in life was that bond that you had between you and... You and your prostitutes. Yeah, you and your, <laughs> your, the prostitutes that you saw. Like, that was, that was like a your bond. Home. You never broke that bond. And when you broke that bond, you know what? All hell's loose yeah. at this point. So, well, what can I say? My goal was to find out <laughs> uh-huh. whatever. So anyway, I, uh, this source of mine um, said that there was a, f- a very popular senator. Oh, wow. Was, uh, and, and, you know, after a little digging digging and talking to him, you know, I, he was making me guess, really. I eventually... Um, is that what a lot of it is? Like sometimes. this thing, like, I can't really tell you, yeah. but yeah. he may be running for president. He may be running for president, right. And you he has, guess what I'll tell you. He's gray, in one he has, of the two parties. He's very <laughs> handsome. He's got gray hair. Great hair. Gray yeah. hair. <laughs> so you narrow it down, so you guessed it, right? Yeah. Well, we, yeah. So uh, I, when I went with that story, i tell you, that was, on paper, an enormously risky story. And in fact, after the story came That's out, what I thought when I read it. He, his, he was re- represented by Abby Lowe, who had represented Bill Clinton in, uh, when he had his uh, scandals. And Abby Lowe communicated with the owner.